This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, serving adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bee Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll need a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, and get this, it comes with a lifetime warranty. It's the pump we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles, tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Green Chili Adventure Gear is also the exclusive USA distributor for Outback Motor Tech, a Canadian company that specializes in high-quality protection for motorcycles. Visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com, greenchiliadv.com. Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lanfear. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tax. Zoe Cano. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Ruff. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. This is Nathan Millward. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. A motorcycle adventure is great fun, but I think when you add a theme or a direction to it, you can take a a good trip and make it really memorable. Themes seem to be what I think people are looking for nowadays when they're planning a trip, and sometimes they don't even recognize that they're planning a trip, and they don't realize that that what they're doing is they're building in a theme. If you're planning on, on riding maybe to another state or another province or even another country, you can add an element of discovery and exploration by choosing a theme for the adventure. And that theme... It could be anything under the sun. For instance, Jackie Kennedy rode her posty bike, which she calls Mo, around Australia, visiting big things and finding funky letterboxes. Now, it sounds kind of maybe even silly in a way, but it gave her something to search out while she was up riding her posty bike around. And it'll do the same for you. I mean, you, you pick some sort of theme when you're going somewhere and it gives you a direction. It gives you something to sort of focus in on and makes the whole trip fun. It doesn't have to be an epic adventure to become a theme trip, but by choosing something, anything like finding all the covered bridges in your route, or maybe visiting all the national parks from here to there, you know, or, or finding the best riverside wild campsites on your route. It could be a geographical, it could be historical or beauty based. Any sort of theme I think will add a, a fresh, new, exciting element to any adventure that you're doing. So consider that next time you're planning an adventure. Lyndon Poskett spent 17 years working at a job he enjoyed. And when things changed for him in life, he decided that he'd head off and do a world adventure by motorcycle. Up until this time, Lyndon had been heavily into racing motorcycles as a serious hobby, including the Dakar in 2013. So when he decided to ride the world, well, a racing theme was a natural for him. He decided that he would travel the world on his motorcycle, entering races everywhere he went. Races to places. Yeah, my name's Lyndon Poskett. I'm from Yorkshire, North Yorkshire in the United Kingdom, uh, in England, and uh, I'm currently traveling around the world on a motorcycle, uh, 
traveling around the world, all continents racing an international cross country race on every continent on the same bike. Um, I'm a mechanical engineer. I worked in aerospace for a company called BAE Systems for 17 years from the age of 18. I did like an internship, an apprenticeship with them. Um, and uh, yeah, so I worked with them for 17 years. On all that time, I'd always been into motorcycles, so riding and racing motorcycles in my spare time, all the way up to doing the Dakar Rally in 2013, which was probably something I'd, it's like a life's dream to do that and I turned it into a goal and made it happen in 2013 and after that um, my whole sort of view on what could be achieved in life changed um, and and then later on in 2013 I had an accident where I nearly lost my life it was close and it really when I was in hospital staring at the hospital wall it really made me think about what I wanted to get out of life uh, and that's when I decided to go traveling. And because I'd raced for so much of my life as well, um, to cut a long story short, decided what a great story it would make to travel around the world and race on the same bike. I like the idea that you work somewhere for 17 years because the listener can hear that you're a normal person. <laughs> because I think a lot of times when we see people who are traveling the world doing incredible things, they think that somehow there's, there's something so different. But you're a normal guy. You worked a normal job in a lot of senses for 17 years. Now, I know you're very much into motorcycles. And, and from what I understand, you're an outstanding rider. Uh, and I don't mean to, to make you blush, but that's what I've read about you. But you came from a normal background. I mean, you were headed the, that career path and all of a sudden you've made this change. Now, that isn't the only change either because you started out on the road how long ago? Um, I started in April 2014, so it's getting on for two and a half years now. Right, and it started out as a much shorter trip. You'd planned, what, a year and a half or something? Yeah, kind of 18 months. 18 months, 18 months to two years was kind of the max I was thinking at the time. Right, yeah. you blew past that now, and uh, it, by the sounds of it, there, there's no end in sight. Uh, yeah, there the kind of is an end in sight. My plan... My plan is to uh, ride down through the Americas um, all the way into South America, uh, do a big race in South America, which you probably heard that I'm doing the Dakar Rally in 2017, um, but do that race, uh, explore South America, fly to South Africa, and then ride up back to Europe, kind of home through Africa. And I'd also like to compete in the Africa Eco Race as part of that journey. So. You were talking about when you decided that you, you wanted to ride around the world and you made it about um, going to different places and, and going to race in these different places. Did you choose that because of being sponsored or, or how did that come about? No, not at all. Um, I'd always raced. I've been riding motorcycles since I was 10 years old. Um, I've raced, I've competed in seven different disciplines of motorcycle riding. Uh, so everything from trials motocross, enduro, supermoto, um, you know, all kinds of rally racing, uh, road racing. I've done a lot of different um, sports, uh, motorcycle sports, and uh, I just, I, I kind of didn't want to give up the racing, but the, the original name for Races to Places, which is what it's called now, was From Races to Places because it was about going from racing in my life to visiting places. As if you were leaving it. Correct. Yeah. And then it evolved to being this, um, well, actually, we could do both um, and still achieve some great things and it'd be a great story. So we dropped the farm and decided to call it 
races to places and actually do racing as well. So. I really like that because we've been talking a little bit lately about um, having a, a theme to your trip and, and how handy it can be really in a way, but it gives you direction. It gives you a, a goal to go for um, rather than just riding around. So I, I really like the idea, but it's, it has to create all kinds of problems. I mean, I know you come from a racing background, but now you're going to become a traveler. So you've got all these, these problems of the racer and the traveler combined into one bike. Yeah, um, it's... It's really hard to summarize it, but um, it, it quite literally is like a full-time job. <laughs> um, it's because, Except that you like to go every day. Yeah, every day, is a, every day is different. You know, even like yesterday, yesterday was a whole day spent on the computer and training. That was it. There was no riding involved. It, it was like, it was kind of like being back in the office with the exception that I really enjoyed what I was doing. I was organizing things. I was preparing myself for upcoming events, um, just doing admin and things. And, 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 I, and, I, and I realized that although it's a bit of a drag doing all of that, I enjoy it. So, and, and I don't have anybody organizing anything for me. And I do everything myself. So all the trip planning, the route planning, the organizing, shipping the bike, where I'm going next, what races I'm doing, entries for the races, logistics for the races, everything's all done myself. And uh, one one thing that is a massive thing that I talk a lot about to people when I do my presentations, I have like a little roadshow that I've been doing. And um, what I talk about in that is that one thing that I realized probably when I achieved the Dakar Rally in 2013 was that my whole life, whether it was my work life or my private life, um, was was all driven by goals. So it was all driven by me setting targets and trying to achieve those targets. And if I didn't, I personally found it very difficult to accept that. So in the workplace, that was the same. And it's still the same now. And But now I openly see that. And when I set myself a new challenge, it gives me something to get my teeth into. And I'm sure this is the same for most people. And it's not easy. It's hard work, and you, but it's massively rewarding. You know, when you've when you've you know travelled through a country that you didn't know anything about, and you've done all the planning yourself, and you've done a race there as well, and you've finished it, and you're riding out of the border of that country, you're like, yes, ticking the box, I did that. Um, and I, I find it really rewarding, and that's a massive part of my trip is setting goals, um, and and to some extent, goals that possibly can't be achieved you know something could stand in the way and stop it being achieved but that doesn't stop you going out setting the goal and having a go at it so that's where i'm at okay so how do you how do you plan your route when you is it is it planned by races because i sort of picture that you would have to look around and see what races are running in different places and figure okay i can go here i can go there is that what you're doing when you plan your route yeah, kind of. It's kind of different in, like, my, my route from the UK across to Magadan in Russia, that was planned, and then I discovered that Rally Mongolia was on the on the route, more or less. So that one fell into place. Um, but the likes of um, the Sonora Rally in the United States, or in Mexico, sorry, um, that one, I kind of said, well, in order to do a rally on Basel bike, on the bike that I'm traveling on, I will have to be in the United States for the Sonora Rally. Um, so therefore, that sort of drove, drove my, my riding in Australia and New Zealand in order to get to USA in time to do that one rally. So. 
Let's talk about your route um, right now. You started out from the UK, and where did you go? So I started from the UK, and I rode down through Europe to Greece to do the Hellas Rally. So I rode down through, um, well, through all of Europe, all the way down to Greece. And then from from Greece after the Hellas Rally, well, I dislocated my shoulder in the Hellas Rally, so it was not a good start to the program. Um, and I had some weeks to try and discover whether I could actually continue and ride. Um, but I did, and... Um, so I rode from Greece, I went through Turkey, Georgia, Azerbaijan into Russia and then I did Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, back into Kazakhstan, back into Russia again, then Mongolia, then Russia all the way across to Magadan and on the way I did Rally Mongolia. So that was kind of leg one of the trip. Um, after reaching Magadan I then shipped south to Vladivostok and from there I went to Korea, South Korea, Japan and then I did Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Thailand and then worked my way down through Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, Australia, New Zealand and then America and then headed north all the way up to the Arctic Circle and now I'm on the massive journey uh, from the north of the Arctic Circle south. Wow, that's an incredible adventure so far. I don't even know how you keep track of that. Are you reading it or is that from your memory? That's a lot of places. Spent two and a half years with it. So it's, it's kind of, I, I've done 39 countries and I could probably reel them all off my tongue in order that I did them. <laughs> the interesting thing here is that uh, you're not just going to races. I mean, this is a serious adventure you're going on, but you're, again, back to that, that bike thing, you're riding a, a sort of a race prep bike. Can you just tell us briefly what the bike is that you're riding? Yeah, um, it's so the bike that I ride is a KTM 690 Rally, or it started life as a KTM 690 Rally, which is, to all intents and purposes, it is a, it is similar to a 690 Enduro, but also massively different. So while the geometry is quite similar, um, the whole arrangement of the bike, you know, everything from like the radiator, the the suspension linkage, the suspension, the fuel tanks, exhausts, it's almost everything that bolts onto the bike, the chassis, is different. And even the chassis is different in different in certain places like the rear suspension pickups and stuff. So it's a, it's a much more robust bike. It's a much better handling bike. Um, and it's also a lot more reliable. It's, it's, it's carbureted, doesn't have any of the complexity of the fuel injection systems that modern bikes have. Um, and, and that's always a topic of discussion. You know, people always say, oh, but computers are the way to go and they don't break and this, that and the other. And it's, it's not the fuel injection computer that breaks, it's the stuff around it that breaks or lets it down. And um, all I can say is I've done 130,000 kilometers on the bike that I chose to build because I did build it myself. Um, and I've not had one fuel related issue on that journey, which is quite remarkable. Um, so it's a 690 rally and then it's just modified for adventure so it's uh, I say just it's a lot of work it's uh, it's got a luggage rack um, it's got a different fuel tank on the rear it's got a different seat and lots and lots of other things different bash plates so it's a lot of work it's a combination of about 270 hours of my own time to completely rebuild that bike from the ground up and even the engine is far from standard. So it started out life as a 654cc capacity um, and it's not, and, it, and it had a rally gearbox, which is quite a close ratio gearbox. Uh, it's now a 732 
It's got a different camshaft. It's got a different cylinder head modified. The cylinder head modified. Um, it's got a different piston cylinder, crankshaft, gearbox, clutch. Pretty much the balance shaft. Pretty much the whole of the internals of the engine are modified now to make it more adventure worthy um, and make it smoother and more powerful and everything. So the whole bike is really just a, a, a complete custom bike. What kind of response do you get when you ride up with all your gear on and your panniers on and you have to pull those off to go for a race? Um, so I'll come back to the, one, not the the question about the race, but usually while I'm traveling around the world and I pull into, I don't know, I pull outside a cafe or something, um, the usual response from anyone, even motorcyclists, is, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it does look different. I mean, you have different fairings. You've got the rally fairing on it. Yeah, yeah. Usually it's what is that. Um, and then at the racing, uh, the response that I get at the racing is uh, quite usually something like, you're not racing that here, are you? <laughs> uh, so a bit of dismay and disgust all mixed together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, I leave all the luggage racks on for racing, and that's quite hilarious to some people because I'm racing in amongst all these like factory bikes and stuff with a 690 rally with luggage racks on uh, <laughs> and a bike that I've traveled halfway around the world with. So, But you do well in the races though, don't you? So I mean, that's got to sort of change people's attitudes. Yeah, it is. Um, Hellas Valley, I was lying fifth when I dislocated my shoulder. Um, rally Mongolia, I set three fastest stage times and could have won the event, but had problems with the bike and finished seventh overall. Um, Fink Desert Race, was completely not built for that bike. That was in Australia. Uh, and as a result, I, I still finished in the top third, but it was just not suited to that bike. Um, the Baja Rally in Baja, California, I did on my other race bike. It was a 450 and came second overall. Uh, and then the Sonora Rally, I came fifth overall. That was in Mexico. And I did that on the bike that I'm traveling on. You mentioned running the Dakar changed your ideas of what can be done in life. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, it's um, the Dakar started the year I was born, 1978, so 37 years ago. And um, probably since the age of five or six, something like that, you know, my dad was into motorsport and I'd sit and watch it on TV and every single year, January was the time, yes, Dakar's on, we get to watch the Dakar every day at this time. And, and I'd watch it and I'd see these guys racing these awesome big motorcycles through the desert and the cars and sand everywhere and difficulty and you know anger and pain and everything you could possibly think of rolled into one race and it was always this spectacle for me and back even up to the age of probably 30 years old I never even thought about it being a possibility that I could do it um, and it wasn't until I had a good friend in the USA uh, Ned Cease who many people are listening probably know um, did it uh, and he called me from the finish line. He knows me very well. We've done a lot of riding around the world together. He calls me from the finish line and says, um, Lyndon, you've got to do it. Like, you don't know what you're missing. It's awesome. Um, and I just never knew how I could do it. But with the help of many people, um, I managed to put a program together to get the finances together, uh, which is not insignificant. I did the training, set myself up for the race. And after... 30, I think I was 33 or 4 when I did it. Um, 
I managed to do it and I had a pretty successful race. I had a top 10 stage finish. I had lots of ups and lots of downs as well. I broke my bike on one day and it was unsure whether I was even going to finish the race. Um, but I just worked through it and did what I needed to do and, and got to the finish line and it was a massive, massive thing. It was like, well, to this day, it's probably the, still the biggest achievement of my life is finishing the Dakar Rally. And um, coming away from that, literally, it was like stepping out of this thing that you've wanted or kind of dreamed and believed one day you might be able to do or wouldn't it be spectacular to do, turn it into a goal that says, I want to do it and then achieve it. And then you walk back into your cubicle. And that for me was just like, this is not Lyndon Poskett. Something's got to change. <laughs> and that's what happened. And then you said you hurt yourself really bad and you reevaluated what you wanted to do in life. Yeah, um, it was nothing to do with motorcycles. Uh, I was actually, uh, I wanted to do the Dakar Rally again in 2014. Um, kind of, I was on a roll and I thought I could do better. And, but realistically, I was still paying off debts from 2013. So um, the decision was made not to do it. And I decided to do Red Bull Romaniacs instead. Um, so I started to train for Extreme Enduro um, really hard. And uh, I had a friend at work that said, oh, you know, I run marathons, maybe come running with me on a lunchtime, you know, maybe you could do your first half marathon or something before the race and it'll be good for fitness and everything. So I started running and I'm not, I'm not built for running. I'm a, I'm, I'm a big, tall, gangly, um, I'm quite well built, so I'm not really a running frame, but uh, I did it anyway. And uh, I had my first half marathon a week before Red Bull Romaniacs. So I was fit, I was ready for Red Bull Romaniacs. Um, but when it came to the half marathon, my good friend that asked me to do it in the first place, uh, he's run the London Marathon 10 times, so he's an accomplished runner. Um, and when it came to race day, rather than just saying, just trundle around in your own pace, you'll be okay, the competitive side of me came out and I tried to compete with him and finish the race in a, I mean, well, basically break the record that I'd ever run that time. Unfortunately, it was a hot day. Um, I actually wasn't feeling too good at the time um, in the morning and a combination of things meant that I ran to the point that my body completely shut down Yeah, to the point where I don't remember much for 45 or I don't remember anything for 45 minutes until the ambulance crews and the paramedics finally brought me around and, um, and then I was taken to hospital and I spent nine days in hospital staring at the walls um, and it took nine weeks to try and figure out what on earth happened and what I can do going forwards. And in all that time, it was it was just like, wow, I nearly wasn't here. All this materialistic stuff that I've got from working for 17 years, like cars, bikes, trucks, trailers, you name it, it's, it's all hopeless if you're not here. Um, so I decided to sell everything and go traveling. That's a, a real interesting perspective. Uh, just recently, uh, my my daughter's neighbor died, and all his stuff is sitting in his his driveway right now. And I can't help but look at it and think, well, that's what happens when you die to your stuff. And it yep. does get you thinking, well, there's there's got to be something more to it. I mean, if that's all you you spent all your time doing, yeah, it just seems kind of strange to leave it sitting there. Yeah, yeah, it it does, and I. 
Yeah, I literally, I literally sold everything um, and to, to get the money together to, to do this trip and to give it a really good go. And, um, you know, for, for those that follow me will know that the videos are a huge part of my program and that was just because I wanted to do something different. You know, I'd rather than write a blog or have a website or uh, post pictures, you know, I wanted to do it different. I wanted to do it, maybe take it to the next level and like kind of do a video diary or something like that. So I started filming the build of the bike when I built the bike and uh, I look back now and I just think, you know, when one day I'm not going to be here, we're all not here one day, you know, but one day I'm not going to be here. Um, I might not leave a load of material stuff behind in terms of cars, bikes, everything else. Um, but there's a video series on YouTube that's going to be there forever. And that kind of makes me happy that one day if I have kids, maybe grandkids and family, that it's always going to be there, you know, and that no one's going to take that away. And it's also about experience too, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I can't explain, I couldn't explain very well, I'll try, but um, the experiences that I've had in two and a half years traveling around the world, even the tough times, like when your bike breaks and you've got to figure out how you're going to fix it, or you get stuck somewhere because of a massive landslide, like what happened to me in Russia, everything that happens, you know, you drop your bike in a river and it won't start again you meet some people and you, you do something different with them and you decide to stay in that place a little longer and everything that happens is just like so, so rich compared to the, I say normal life, but the life most people are used to of going to work, coming home, eating dinner, going to bed, getting up, going to work. It's completely different and it's, it's you can't describe how much more rewarding, how much more interesting how much more exciting and the, the experiences you get from it and, and also how much of a better person that it makes you. Like, it's made me a much better person in terms of, you know, I'll be honest about this, like, I found it very hard to share material that I'd worked hard for and earned money for. So if I bought a nice car and I cleaned it on a weekend and I polished it and I had this really nice car or whatever... And somebody asked me to, if they could borrow it, my immediate reaction would be, oh, no, that's mine, you know, and I've worked hard for that and I don't want it to get trashed. When you travel like I have and you meet all these different people and you see the hospitality and it's totally turned everything on its head for me. And now it says, if I could give that person a positive experience about borrowing my car and having a great time and they would then in turn probably do the same for somebody else. The world would be a better place. It is a better place. I've, I've traveled and had some mega experiences. And now literally I, I would do anything for anyone and let anybody do anything almost, you know, of my friends and people that I know and people that I meet. And that's, that's massive for me. Even my parents say to me when, when they see me now that I've changed an awful lot over the past probably three or four years um, since I was in that corporate job doing the norm. So it's quite, it's quite interesting to hear people say that about me. 
And it's not for everyone. I mean, there, there's a lot of people who really enjoy, you know, just doing their, their nine to five. And, and I think that's what's great about life is that we can all sort of choose our own thing. I mean, I, I wouldn't want anyone to get the impression that we're trying to sell them on, you know, get rid of everything and, and jump on your bike. That may be a solution for you, but it's not for everyone. Not everyone can do it. It's interesting to hear the experiences from people like yourself. When you started out on this, you said you were going for the 18 months or something. What changed? At what point did you all of a sudden say, you know what, I'm going to stay on the road? Yeah. Um, I, d- I can't think of a significant like event that happened that that happened. It just kind of happened, you know. Um, it took a little bit longer to get through and out of Russia. Um, and then I ended up going through Asia, and that took a little bit more time, and I wanted to explore more. Um, and then I got to Australia and I had a, I had the Baja Rally planned in Baja, California. And that didn't coincide with me being in USA with my bike. So I ended up having to ship a different bike to that race and doing that. And that was a big decision. I almost stopped what I was doing in Australia, flew the bike to the USA to carry on in the USA because of that event. But then I realized that that would be quite silly because... I'm missing out on so much opportunity to see things and do things in Australia and New Zealand. So I decided the way to do it was just to send a different bike there. Go. My commitment was to do the rally. I'm still going to do the rally. And, um, and then flew back to Australia and continued my travels there. And it, it kind of, it, 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 the moment when I realised that chasing something just for the sake of doing it was not actually going to achieve what I wanted to achieve out of races to places. And I decided not to do it. That was, that was better for me. That was a, a moment that I remember as, okay, let's not rush this. Let's make sure that I do what I want to achieve still, everything. It might just mean doing it a different way, which it did. It meant doing that race on a different bike. What about when it all comes to an end? Then what do you do? Yeah, well, I definitely go, don't go back to work and sit at the desk again. I think <laughs> you're yeah, done I've, with that. That's it. I'm definitely done with that. I mean, I can positively say now, I can't see me going and sitting back in an office somewhere working for somebody else again. Um, I have no idea what I'm going to do. Um, that you know, the the videos for races to places. We're currently up to like halfway through my travels editing the videos so there's another two years worth of editing and releasing of videos and they're going really well we've got we've got eight million minutes watched on the series now um which is more than i ever imagined in a in the you know 20 years that i would ever have a video series with so many hits and you know 65,000 subscribers to the channel and it's it's just gone a little bit mad but actually that motivates me to do more, you know, it motivates me to find more interesting things to video, to ride in more interesting places, uh, to do cool things, eat interesting foods and that kind of thing and share the experience with people. It's, it's, it's kind of what drives me to do it. And you're not just going for the racing, obviously you're going for the travel. What's travel like for you? Um, travel for me is probably a bit higher pace than most people that travel like um so i've done from all the travelers that i've met on the road i've probably done more kilometers in less time than than any of them um and it's not that it's rushed i think it's just that my my riding style and my ability on a bike i mean i've done about 
it's hard to say anymore. I used to say 60%, but it's probably more like 50% now, but about 50% of my journey as well has been off-road. So like on unpaved roads and it's some, some of the places I've been are not for everyone. Like, you know, crossing the Simpson desert solo is definitely not a challenge for everybody. Um, it's tough. Uh, Travelling remote regions of Australia in the middle of nowhere in the outback, all alone, carrying 60 litres of fuel so that you can just get to the next town, not knowing if you're going to break down or not, that's like, um, that's a huge deal for a lot of people. And it is for me as well, but um, I, I just travel differently. I, you know, people ask me how many miles I do a day. I mean, I can do anything from 200 to 600 miles a day, Um quite easily it depends how much filming i'm doing um i'm comfortable with that i enjoy riding my motorcycle in the places that i ride it um, but some people say oh you're rushing it you need to slow down a little bit and what i would never do is tell anybody to do anything like i do it i always tell people to do the trip how they want to do it it's it's their trip it's important that they do it how they want to do it if they want to stay in hotels and they've got the money to do it that's fine you can do that I personally choose to camp because it's cheap and I'm in the environment that I'm riding in and, and I love that. So, um, yeah, that it, I guess the way I travel probably is quite a bit different to how most people travel. Um, but I love it. I love it and I still get to meet lots of great people. Yesterday I stopped and talked to some cyclists on the trail uh, on the Continental Divide in the US. You know, they were there on the bicycles and I stopped, took my helmet off and... 20 minutes chatting away with some cyclists and I meet lots of cool people. I see lots of great places and have lots of great experiences, just the same as anybody that's traveling at a different pace to myself. I mean, you could easily, you know, if you were riding your bike, somebody on your on the bicycle that you speak to, they could tell you, hey, you need you should be on a bicycle because you go slower and you see things. And then, of course, the hiker could tell them, the cyclist that, hey, why are you on a bicycle? You should walk. And then you really see things. So, yeah, it's it's just all perspective, isn't it? And it's what you want to accomplish or the goals that you're after. Yeah. And and for me, my my love in life is motorcycles. That's what I love. I love riding motorcycles. So that's why I chose to do it on a motorcycle. 60 liters of fuel to cross the Simpson Desert. You said just to get you. In other words, that was barely enough fuel to get you through. How much water? Um, so I took, I think I took 52 liters of fuel actually across the Simpson. Um, I took 52 liters of fuel because I was a bit unsure how much fuel it was going to use in the deep sand because it's all sand. Um, and I took about, I think I took, I took eight liters of water because I knew that if I ride at the pace that I'm capable of, I could get through it in two days. Uh, maybe it took 10 litres of water. So I kind of knew that I can get through it in two days, so I should be okay with 10 litres of water. Um, and if anything goes wrong, you know, I've got my satellite communicator, there's a good chance that within two days somebody could get to me. So I've got enough water to get through, kind of thing. Um, so I finished with 14 litres of fuel left over and no water. <laughs> <laughs> so that's an idea of like a little bit of a miscalculation, but it's I was fine, and it's all these experiences that you know bring like positive things to the next adventure that you do, and you think differently now. It's like okay, I need more water for this. Uh, I should be more prepared, and um, it's it's all life's experiences. Worry more about yourself than your bike drinking. 
Right. Yeah. What, yeah. what kind of gear do you carry? You're doing a, a world travel. You've got your gear all on your bike. You must have shaken it all out by now long ago. What gear do you carry that, that you feel is essential that would help others that are looking to do something similar? Oh, I, I mean, the biggest tip that I tell everybody um, is that this is not about what gear. This is about the gear in general is that like if you don't use it, if you don't, unless it's like a spare part that you carry in just in case it breaks, if you carry in something that you don't use for a month, throw it away. <laughs> like, you, you don't need it, you know? And that that took some getting my head around. But, like, you know, I, I carry probably about 45 kilograms of luggage on my bike, and I would reckon that at least 10 or 15 of it, probably 15 of it, is spare parts. So it gives you an idea. I don't have a lot of nice things to have for the sake of it. I don't have anything, in fact. I have, um, to give you an idea, like I have one pannier is full of spare parts, tubes, loads of different spare parts for the bike because obviously I travel in remote places so I need to be able to repair it. I have all my camera gear and computer and everything. Um, I have all my camping gear, very lightweight camping gear. Um, and... And then a few clothes, you know, I have one pair of trousers, a pair of shorts, three T-shirts, a few pairs of socks and underwear, and that's it. Like, the, the less that you travel with, the less of a hindrance your bike is because it weighs less. So, like, just my, my advice is always just to keep it simple, keep it low. Don't worry about what you look like. Don't worry about wearing dirty T-shirts because you've been stuck in the middle of <laughs> Cambodia for seven days Oh, it doesn't. It just—it's not important, you know. Nobody's going to look at you and say, "Oh, look at that guy; he's got a dirty T-shirt on." Like, it's not like that. I like to look at you and say, "Wow, look at that guy; he looks like he's just rode through the desert." Oh, he has, <laughs> you know. Um, I was going to ask, but I think you've answered that already. I was going to say, so you must be stopping at laundromats a lot. Either that, or you're not paying attention to what your mum told you about wearing clean clothes. You know, it's really funny. I actually don't. I can count on one hand how many times I've been to a laundromat. Because um, I've got quite a big following on Facebook and media, I do get asked a lot, hey, if you come through this town, make sure you come and see us, you know? Um, so typically, like in Australia, for example, I'd ride for like two weeks across the middle of Australia, use every bit of clothing I've got, and then I'd turn up at some random guy or family's house and do my washing as well over there. Like, it, it sounds really cheeky, but it's that they want to see me. You know, I want to meet new people, and it works perfect. And you know, done just the same here. You know, guy in Montana in Bozeman contacted me, been following me on Facebook and stuff, knows of me. Come and stay with me, stay as long as you want. Uh, I'll probably spend a couple of days here. Yesterday, I spent seven days, seven hours working on the bike. Um, and getting the bike ready for its next adventure and the onward journey and you know today I'll do some washing and get some more admin out of the way while I'm here and then hit the road again. You know, a little bit of forethought. You you could have done a separate book on washing machines I visited around the world. Could have done. <laughs> it wouldn't be very interesting for, for me though, other than if I included all the homes I've been to. <laughs> so where do you go next? Uh, heading all the way south through the Americas all the way to Paraguay in January for the start of the Dakar Valley. So that's that's my goal is to get to um, Paraguay, Asuncion in Paraguay for the end of December. 
Now, this run you're going to do in the Dakar, that's for 2017. You said, you, I guess you're, you're going to be prepped for it, because uh, at least physically, because you're doing nothing but riding now. Will you just arrive, take off your panniers and run? No, it's a, it's a big difference that because there's a there's a uh, the rule book says that you can't use any bike with a bigger capacity than 450 cc now. Mm. So for any world championship rounds, which or FIM rounds, which this is, um, you can't use anything over 450 capacity. So I can't use the bike that I'm riding around the world on. Um, it was a big decision to do the Dakar. I could have done a different rally in South America, but. I really wanted to race the Dakar Rally again. So um, I'm actually having to, and, and the race is such a big race. It's the biggest, longest, most arduous off-road race in the world. And it's costing around about 100,000 euro budget just to do the race. And um, you don't go into something like that with a bike that you've done 130,000 kilometers on because the risk of something breaking and not getting to the finish is probably quite high. Now I'm confident that my bike would do it, but because of the rule book saying 450cc, I'm actually building a brand new bike for it. So um, I'm gonna be using a 2017 450 rally bike, um, KTM 450 rally for the race. 100,000 euros, it's just, it always amazes me how much money it takes to run the Dakar. You're paying for this all yourself? So, um, it's yeah. I've, at the moment, I've covered about forty percent of the costs uh, through sponsors. So there's a long way to go. And those that followed me in 2013 will know that to to to, to make it happen, uh, I'm putting together some support packages. So I have like my own jackets, casual jackets, t-shirts, and product that I sell to try and raise the funds to do it. Now, in return, what I hope to do this time is I hope to self-film the whole thing. And I, have, I already have two special feature rally videos, one from Mongolia and one from Baja Rally on YouTube, which are free to view. Um, and in return for all the help that everybody's giving me, sponsors, individuals that buy product to get me to the start of the race, because I absolutely can't do it without all of those people. I hope to share the experience with them in a way that hasn't been done before. So uh, I'm hoping to kind of capture the thing the best I can uh, and share the experience with everybody. How do you mean share it like it hasn't been done before? Uh, well, film it. Film the whole thing. Do you have a particular uh, way you're going to film it that's different? Uh, Self-film it. There is no film crew. <laughs> so, uh, so basically you're talking GoPros mounted on you and you just sort of run as you go? Yeah. and it, Well, it's a lot more complicated than that because to, to, make, um, to make an interesting sequence, you have to do, you have to film what's called cutaways. So lots of short little video clips and then piece them all together. Um, which I've become quite good at after being on the road for two and a half years doing that. Um, so I just hope to continue with it and try and capture what I'm doing and share it with the masses, really, and, and hopefully bring something fun to people that, to share the experience of what it's really like to do the Dakar Rally as a privateer. But not only that, to do Dakar Rally as a privateer in the Malimoto class, which is completely unsupported. So I have no support crew at all. It's just me. Um, everything has to be done by myself. Lyndon, great to talk to you and best of luck in the Dakar. Thank you very much. Thanks. I've been speaking with Lyndon Poskett and he's on the road in the middle of his trip somewhere in the United States. You can find out more about Lyndon and his travels by going to racestoplaces.com.
know, most long distance travelers will tell you that being organized is the key to traveling on a motorcycle because let's face it, no matter what bike you have, you're going to be limited in how much you can carry. So getting things set up correctly for your gear is one of the most important things you can do. And a big part of that, of sorting your gear out, is making sure it's stored efficiently and easily accessible. Now, I want you to go to the website, www.aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. Now, by using the forward slash ARR extension, that, that will get you 10% off your purchase or if you're a return customer, it's going to get you free shipping. But I want you to go to the website and go up to the top menu, hover over bags, you'll see the drop-down menu comes up with more packing options. Click on more packing options. At the top of that page is going to be a few things that I don't think you've seen before, and I'm not going to spoil it for you. It has to do with food. <laughs> go there and have a look. But further down, you're going to see some great solutions for organizing your gear. In particular, the AeroStitch envelope bags. Now, I've been an avid camper my entire life, and one thing I've learned is that using small bags to organize your gear is key, and they're great for us on motorcycles because we have such limited space. Drop by AeroStitch, pick up some bags, get yourself organized. www.aerostitch.com forward slash AR. And anytime you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, if you are a gadget freak, or maybe even not, maybe you just happen to like a GPS for your travels... You know, for the last few years now, I've been debating between, you know, just using a a phone or a tablet as a GPS or using a proprietary GPS, like the Garmin unit that I've been using for years. I've been using the GPS Map 62S, and uh, it's it's a great unit. There's a lot of things I love about it, but there's some things that I don't like about it, like namely how slow the processor is when you you move around with the map from, you know, one position to another. But lately I've been trying out a a Garmin Zumo that I'm going to do a review on in a couple episodes uh, from now, but... Boy, you know what's really impressed me with that? One of the things, one of the things is the connectivity. You know, you've got the connectivity with your Bluetooth headset and the the step-by-step spoken directions that it gives you as you're going from one place to another. So it's kind of shaking my world as far as, you know, the uh, my thought process anyway for GPSs. But that'll be coming up in an episode down the road. Hey, you got to think about it. Right now, we're about midsummer point. So if I'm talking Northern Hemisphere now. So it's the time to get out there. If you haven't done a ride already, if you haven't got a good epic ride in, now's the time to do it. Come up with some sort of theme, get yourself an epic ride. And I'll tell you what, drop by our Facebook page, which is just Adventure Rider Radio. Search it for it on Facebook. Drop by our Facebook page and let us know what you did. Let us know what theme you did. Let's start posting the themes on there and, and see if we can, uh, I don't know, spur some people on that maybe haven't come up with one yet. This is Bernard Smith from worldtour.org.uk. You are listening to Adventure Rider Radio. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, serving Adventure Riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. That's maxbmw.com. 
and Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll need a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, and get this, it comes with a lifetime warranty. It's the pump we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles, tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Green Chili Adventure Gear is also the exclusive USA distributor for Outback Motor Tech, a Canadian company that specializes in high-quality protection for motorcycles. Visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com. Greenchiliadv.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, for all the hard work she does behind the scenes, and to you, the listener, for listening to our show. Drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and you can listen to all of our shows for free. And hey, if you like what you're hearing and you want to keep the show coming to you for free, consider dropping by our website and giving us a donation. There's a donate button there. Just click on the donate button. Anything over $10 or more will get you a gift sent back in the mail from us, our way of saying thanks. My name is Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Now, no excuses. Time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe and see you next week. Hello, you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio and this is Tiffany Coates on the line from Land's End in England.